welcome to yet another edition of the halal food podcast today i've got an august uh, uh visitor with us who is going to cover uh animal restraint and slaughter we've got professor grandin uh from the u.s with us i'm going to hand over to professor grandin to quickly introduce her so but I know she doesn't need any introduction, but I would still pass it over to her to quickly introduce herself before we start. Oh, my name's uh, Temple Grandin. I am professor of animal science at Colorado State University. And for almost uh, 50 years, I have worked on um, designing better systems for handling animals at the slaughter plants for both regular slaughter and for religious slaughter. Um, and I work on real practical um, applications of Things. I've also am the author of uh, Animal Handling Guidelines and author of uh, my book that I did for Cabby, The Slaughter of Farm Animals, Practical Ways of Enhancing Animal Welfare. I'm trying to get both practical knowledge and, um, and scientific research knowledge uh, together in the same book. Nice one. Thank you very much, Prof. Uh, I'm going to invite Felipe to quickly introduce his, himself before we go back to Professor Grandin. Okay, so uh, I, my name is Felipe Clayman. I, I am a consultant specialized in animal welfare and religious slaughter. Yeah, And uh, I am a student of Professor Grandin, so I'm a follower of her school of design and, 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 and solutions. And I work uh, dedicated to the South America kosher industry mostly. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Felipe. So uh, my first question will go to Professor Grandin. Professor Grandin, what actually motivated you to to develop a career in animal behavior and welfare? Why did you go decide to go into such a field? Well, when I was in college, this was back in the '60s, I took a really interesting course in animal behavior. That started the animal behavior interest. Then in my teens, I had a chance to visit my aunt's ranch. <coughs> and that's where I got introduced to the Western United States and to the cattle industry. This brings up a really important thing. Students get interested in things they get exposed to. Then I started my work uh, in the 70s out in the feedlots in Arizona, the meat plants in Arizona. This was with regular slaughter and handling. Uh, cattle handling in the 70s was very bad, very rough. And I, I worked on designing you know, better facilities. Now I wanna emphasize, um, uh, you have to have both the good facilities and the management. They both matter. You could have the best system, but you have to have well-trained, supervised employees working in that system in order to have good handling. You need both the equipment and management um, uh, training their people and supervising their people. Okay, so I, are you suggesting that even facilities with the state-of-the-art designs, with, with uh, gold-plated designs, if the management and the training of operatives is not right, that system will still not work? Well, it's gonna not, it's not, it's gonna not work. Uh, a mistake that a lot of engineers made, I made this mistake early in my career, I thought I could design systems that would manage themselves. Yeah. That is not possible. You have to have both the good equipment and the good management and management that cares about doing things right. Okay, great, great, great. Uh, I'm moving to the next question. I'm going to invite Philippe in, but first, uh, Professor, Grand, uh, Professor Grandin, 
In terms of the restraint of cattle, we know there are several methods of restraining cattle. And I, speaking from the halal perspective, we know there are still countries where cattle are restrained by wasting the live animals by their hind leg. Uh, we've got restraining in lateral recumbency, in, in dorsal recumbency, in standing position. Which methods do you think are worse for the animal in terms of cattle? The worst method is hanging big high hanging cattle up by their leg by a single leg on a hoist that is the worst method and the very first research that i did on religious slaughter was uh, taking out these systems and replacing it with a stand up restraint system now we can discuss about whether it's stand up rotating or lateral but i think everybody could agree that systems where you hoist animals up in the air by a single leg or drag them around on the floor and wrestle them down are systems that we should not use. And when I went to the first plant that had this back in 1980, it was just horrible. You could hear cattle bellering in the office, in the parking lot. It was horrible. Every animal screaming its head off. And the first thing I worked on was getting rid of that system and replacing it. That was the first work I did in religious slaughter. Okay, Philippe, do you want to comment on it, whether the restraining by hoisting? What's your view on that? Uh, okay, so uh, I am I, I am a follower uh, of all of the teachings of Professor Granding, and I've been learning with her uh, uh, the importance of uh, of the restraining. Yeah, uh, I learned from her that the, the restraining method is and, and and the quality of the operation is a main concern uh, on, on animal welfare, yeah? Uh, people think that the slitting the neck of the animal is the, the, the worst problem, yeah? yeah. So, uh, yeah, I am I am, I'm willing for much more to, to maybe make the, the question number two to Professor, if you, if, if, if I may, uh, well. Yeah, also, uh, uh, Flippy, I just wanted to ask Professor Grandin because she has ruled out restraining by hoisting. Now, we lay with restraining in the natural standing position, restraining on the side and restraining on the backs. Now, many Muslims prefer to restrain on the left side of the animal, uh, whilst others may be happy with restraining on the back. Now, uh, considering the free back standing inside, which one do you think is better or are they all equally better? I think it depends a lot on how they decide. I started with the stand-up restraint. First of all, stand-up restraint device is probably the, the least expensive of the devices. I had that device custom designed. Yeah. I operated it, and we had the very best slaughter person doing it. And it was basically under perfect conditions. Cattle coming in calm, no electric prods. I had very good controls on the restrainer where I could control the restrainer and not squeeze them too hard. And in that situation... Um, this was with kosher slaughter with that special knife, the cattle did not appear to, to feel the cut. But the problem is I've gone into plants and I don't care which system you have now, the controls are designed wrong. They cannot um, control how much pressure is applied to the animal. If you put in a, a cattle in a restraint device and they bellow, they move, you're hurting them with the restraint device. Mm. So one very simple way to evaluate cattle restraint devices is you should be able to get them into the restraint device get them fully restrained with no vocalization, no moves. And a place that's doing a good job can get the percentage of cattle that will vocalize down to 5% or less. You got 30% of the cattle bellering, 
you've got a problem, a big problem. The other thing in looking at some of the research is you have to look at on the uh, vocalization, you just score vocalization in the box, whatever it is. But let's take struggling. Yeah. Uh, some of the papers that I have read, they're not differentiating between struggling that occurred before the cut. Okay, that's caused by the restrainer and maybe reflexive struggling after the cut. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you have to look at both. I saw a recent paper on lateral restraint that actually looked really good. Um, but I think the best thing to do is let's go with the outcome measures. Okay. Vocalization. Um, struggling before the cut. Mm-hmm. Another thing you need to do is once you get the head restrained, cut it. Don't, don't have it sit there for five minutes uh, because then it's going to fight the restrainer. Yeah. Now, the devices I had the most experience were, were upright and they were operated by me under perfect conditions. And uh, the lateral device I did not see. Now I've seen rotating done really horrible. I've seen it done right. And I've also been in plants where the controls were designed wrong. And I absolutely could not control the pressure applied to the animal. And they were squeezing the animal way too hard. I'm the, the, you know, there's a lot of controversy, of course, about religious slaughter. I stand behind my um, observations that I made in the 1994 AVMA journal. They are also in the slaughter book. But I also want to emphasize that those observations were done under perfect conditions. Okay. The cattle handling, completely calm and controlled. A restraint device with the de- properly designed controls, the cattle would just walk in there. I hardly even had to hold them tight with it. And a very, very best slaughter person. But the problem I've seen, and I'm kind of discouraged about this, and I've talked to Flippy about this too, is that unfortunately, you've got managers who just don't care in some places. Mm -hmm. And they do things really bad, even though they've got good equipment. Yeah. I'm going to go to Philip. I'm going to pass to Philip. But Prof, you just mentioned something that is very important. You said the 1994 paper, I have read it, and uh, many people have cited it, but others disagree with it others say well what your findings were that religious uh slaughter can be that when done right uh the pain associated with the cut is almost non-existent because optimal restraint proper cut and you just said you still stand by your words but i want to emphasize it was done under perfect conditions yeah. Also using the special kosher knife and some of the other papers used other knives that were uh, sharpened with a mechanical grinder might make the knife rougher. Um, but I'm just going to say under perfect yeah. conditions. I'm, I'm just, okay, now if I went like this in the cattle's face, I got a bigger reaction. If I just did this in the cattle's face, a bigger reaction than when the um, slaughter person, the rabbi cut it. I can say that's what I observed. Yeah. But I'm not happy with some of the stuff going on now. Poorly designed equipment, yeah. all kinds of rough handling, um, and management not taking things seriously. And, and of course, in this country, uh, there's an exemption in the rules, so they 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 can't enforce anything. I think a plant that has a 40% vocalization score needs to get in a bunch of trouble for that. That's absolutely not acceptable. Yeah. 
And the other thing, uh, there's a consultant named Erica Vogue, and she's worked with a number of the uh, mainly kosher plants. And uh, the ones that do a really good job, the animal will go unconscious much more quickly than the plants to do a bad job, excited animals, everything going bad. Um, but I'm, I'm a bit discouraged on how badly managed some of the places are. Yeah. yeah. Philippe, do you want to come in? Yes, uh, Professor, I just wanted to, to, to ask you about, still about the restraining methods, yeah? Especially because our host, uh, Dr. Awal, he is in the uh, United Kingdom. And I know that, uh, especially in the United Kingdom, it's forbidden the kosher slaughter or, on, with conscious animals to be uh, inverted, yeah? So uh, I remember that uh, years ago, it was, it was a kind of shadow uh, regarding if there is or not a big issue of animal welfare. So I just, just wanted to know from you, Professor, what is the real point uh, by inverting? So nowadays we know better that this is not uh, uh, so problematic. So how, how, how can you explain for us uh, the, the, the possibility of keeping a good welfare even in rotating boxes, in, 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 in inverted... Well, it's position. easier to cut them in a rotating box. So I can see that's why people want them. That doing the cut correctly in an upright box is more difficult, but uh, you have to look at your animal reactions. He should enter the box easily. You restrain it. You restrain the head, no vocalization. It's one of your most important scores. And as soon as the head's restrained, cut it. Don't wait. Um, and... You've got to have controls where you can control the amount of pressure put on your animal. Let's say if you're running on a hydraulic system, I'm going to talk engineering now, and this is where there's a lot of problems. Um, if you have a hydraulic system or an air system, I need more pressure to make, say, rotate the box than I do to control the, to hold the head. So that means I need a separate valve system with a separate pressure regulator for the head compared to the body. And people make the mistake of... Um, uh, putting them all on the same pressure. Another mistake is the wrong type of valves. This is really a problem with air systems where you have no ability to uh, have it use an intermediate pressure. Whatever you're set at the regulator, it squeezes at the, at the setting of the regulator. You can't, there's, you, you have no what's called mid-stroke position control on the cylinder. Now I'm talking engineering talk, but this is where there's a lot of problems. I've gone into plants where I tried to operate in the box. I couldn't operate it nicely because it had the wrong controls on it. Mm -hmm. Now that is actually quite easy to fix. Um, they, things that gouging into them. You see, we've got to separate all our variables. Now the box, the upright box that I use is a custom built box to my specs. It actually was not a very expensive box. It was cheaper than, than a lot of the rotating boxes and it had the correct controls. I could very precisely, like a car's accelerator, control the amount of pressure put on the head. I found I could nudge cattle in with the, with the tailgate and barely push on them, where other people are like squashing them like that with the, with the uh, pusher. Bending the animal, you know, you know, this is really awful. You also, if you're using a rotating box, you've got to design it so that when it rotates, the animal doesn't flop around in there. And I'm... Um, I've seen some very well-designed ones. I went to Brazil. I was very impressed with the box that, that a person made there. And he understood his, his engineering stuff. Yeah. But Philippi and I have had conversations about some of the management issues. 
So you have to have both the good engineering and, uh, and operation because I have seen rotating boxes I thought looked really good, um, but I've got to have the correct controls on it. And the other thing you've got to do is control maximum pressures so that a careless operator cannot, you know, break an animal's back or break its neck or something just really bad like that with a head holder. Erica's, Erica worked with one plant in the U.S. that had a rotating box, and we had, we had to remodel the controls on it to have a light pressure for the head, a medium pressure for the body squeeze, and a heavier pressure to do the rotation. And we had to put the system on three separate pressure relief valves. Uh, this is something that a lot of systems don't have. This, uh, and it's something that a lot of people don't understand. I have a real, get very frustrated with the people that don't really understand how, how hydraulics and pneumatics actually work. Thank you very much, Prof. Uh, you talked a, a bit about restraint, the, the, the issues with restraint. So if we were to compare restraint and the neck cut during slaughter without stunning, where would you say the main welfare concerns are? Because from well, where you've just- three main welfare concerns, restraint. And I worked in my country on tearing out some of the worst old shackle hoist systems, horrible things. They'd run the cow into this box, trip them down, put a chain on the leg, yank them out, and you had a 100% mobilization score. My job was to tear these things out. And I did that in the 80s. That was, and I did, did some of it in the early 90s, working on, on that. Um, um, so you have restraint. And then the second issue would be painfulness of the cut. And the third issue would be how long does it take the animal to lose consciousness? So there's basically three issues there. And I think most scientists would agree that those are, are three. But the thing that since I've worked directly with a lot of this equipment, I think people underestimate the importance of the handling and the restraint. Yeah. So, so the reason for this question is when it comes to slaughter, whether stand slaughter or non-stand slaughter, the focus is always on the necker. People criticize non-stand slaughter because of the pain of the necker. But we, we know even stun, before the animal is stunned, it has to be restrained. And it's, uh, it's so heartwarming that you've, you are highlighting the, 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 the welfare aspect of the restraint itself. Well, on the restraining, yeah, you have to have, you have to restrain it for regular slaughter too. You've got to restrain your animal. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of plants just use a little stun box. And I found that one of the important things is a non-slip floor. You have to have a non-slip floor. Otherwise your animal just goes completely berserk. And the biggest issue with uh, stunning is uh, maintenance of the captive bolt stunner. That is the number one issue. Again, it's management. But the thing I have found on looking at management mm -hmm. is you can get a bit sloppy in the regular slaughter plant and, and, and you have less problems. When you get sloppy with slaughter without stunning, it will go bad very, very quickly. Again, I'm going to emphasize that my observations were done under perfect conditions. My box, I ran it and the very, very best person in the industry. And I had the cattle handling completely under control. Did you uh, produce commercial units of your box, uh, Prof? Well, the company actually um, no longer exists. Uh, okay. the, the, all the specifications are on my website. And I've explained in, in many papers on how to build the controls. And people just aren't doing it. They don't recognize the importance of having controls where I can, where I can actually control the amount of pressure that's put on the, on the animal. It's not either all on or all off. And then a lot of boxes are solenoid actuated 
with an electric push button. I actually don't like those. I like really nice hand controls where you can, you can throttle it like a car's accelerator. Think about how a car's accelerator works. And this is a concept that a lot of people build these things. They don't get it. They're not getting some of the engineering stuff. No, it's all written up on how to do it. Whoa. Now, the one thing that drawings on my webpage kind of gotten bigger, so you're gonna have to change some of those measurements. But the stuff on the principle of the controls, that is, is still the same. Philippe, do you wanna come in? Uh, yes, uh, Professor, I just wanted to, uh, I, I'm here with the, your book, yeah? I just want to quote, quote in, the, in the page 165, when you say quoting yourself, uh, granting 1994, so we, you say, the, 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 the book says, waving a hand in front of a steer's face caused a bigger reaction than cutting with the special kosher knife. Yeah? That's correct. So, That's what I saw. That's correct. I stand by, and again, perfect conditions yeah. and properly engineered controls. And I was managing it and controlling uh, the cattle handling. Nobody was yelling at cattle. Uh, they, no one was used, there were no electric prods used on the cattle. Uh, because excited cattle, you're gonna have uh, more problems with uh, uh, how long it's gonna take to go unconscious if they come in excited. But that's what I observed. And, and I am reporting that accurately, but I've since put a thing up on my website emphasizing the perfect condition. So Prof, somebody listening to this may be interested in the box you just mentioned. Do you own the intellectual property or is somebody- oh, This is stuff is ancient. There's no patents on any of this stuff okay. anymore. And the principles of the controls, this is basic hydraulics and pneumatics 101 that we would teach in a community college. You see, in the problem, a lot of people building these things, uh, they don't understand things like the difference between uh, uh, pressure that you apply to the animal and flow control. Now, if I put a flow control on a system, it will just squeeze them too hard slowly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That mistake I see made all the time. Um, and then you've got to get management that's interested in measuring vocalization score. You have a high vocalization score of 20 or 30% of the cattle belt run. You've got a big problem with your restraint system, a really big problem. Yeah. Now, the problem we've got with sheep is they don't vocalize in response to restraint. I cannot use that for sheep, but this works really, really well with cattle vocalization score. And then you score things like prod score, collapse time, time to eye roll wet, time to loss of posture. These are things I can measure. You know, there's always a problem. I've talked to Flippy about this. They want to run the system faster than what it actually is rated for. You see, we were not doing that either. Um, you start pushing a piece of equipment. Um, here's a common problem. I'm just working, just put together a PowerPoint for dairies. This is for automated milking equipment. And I've got a slide in there and it says, the company may say this system can handle 60 cattle when really it should only have 45. Equipment companies tend to overestimate the capacity of the equipment. I don't care if it's milking equipment, um, a, a water trough frame, a restraint box. A lot of these things are pushed too fast too, and they can't do a decent job. And they don't have time to wait for the animal to lose consciousness before it's pulled out. Yeah. And then you you're going to get the head, then you're going to get, you know, disturbance of the wound. And that's definitely going to cause pain. So, Prof, uh, most of your research, I know, when it comes to religious slaughter, has focused on kosher slaughter, where you've 
we've emphasized the need for optimal use of the knife, the, the proper knife, the proper restraint. Now, my, my question to you is, uh, it, comparing halal slaughter and shikita slaughter, what are the main differences? The main difference is the knife. Okay. And I've observed halal slaughter done on large cattle with just a knife you bought from the knife catalog or the knife supply company, terrible. It's too short, gouges the neck. It's just terrible. Um, the knife does matter. That's your main difference is that special knife because I've seen horrid stuff done on sheep and sheep will not vocalize, but they will struggle. If it hurts, the sheep will struggle. I saw some really horrible halal slaughter of sheep, yeah. of veal calves, and they were using the wrong knife. Now here's a simple thing that you can do. Let's take this piece of paper out of this printer here. Yeah. It's a very simple thing you can do. Take a piece of paper from my printer right here, and we're gonna pretend this pen is a knife. Yeah. I hold it like this by the corner. I should be able to take a dry knife and just go. I should be able to hold it by a single corner yeah. and just do that. And it should cut right to a standard piece of paper from the printer held by one corner, just cut through like that. And if the knife, now a good kosher knife passes that really easy. In fact, a good kosher knife, they don't want to cut paper with it. Mm -hmm. But that's a very simple thing that you can do the paper test yeah well i got a i got a knife i used this morning on the kitchen counter there to cut an apple with and i i could go get it it's just on the counter there and try it on the piece of paper and it'll be an example of a knife that'd be absolutely not acceptable okay. and the paper's just going to crank it's right over here and i can show you something okay. that um here's a little knife i just cut my breakfast apple with yeah. and i take the paper yeah this little no. knife, <laughs> it doesn't do it. No. And there is a nice study that just came out. I think it's by Immian. And he found that sharpness of the knife matters. Okay. And there was less pain. They did some EEG stuff with a sharp knife. And that was a halal paper. And that just was recently published. Okay. Uh, Philippe, do you want to come in? uh yeah i i i think that was 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 great i think we just can 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 move forward yeah okay so prof another important thing i wanted us to discuss is on the humaneness of stunning you have been around for a long time you've okay. seen different methods a long of... time yeah <laughs> and where our usda has been yeah. getting much more strict on enforcement okay and um and our stunning, I would estimate right now, our plants right now, I'm now getting back into the plants. I've been to four big beef plants this year. They were using the Jarvis pneumatic, that really big stunner, and doing a really good job. I'm going to estimate they're like at 99% or better. Now, back in the old days when I collected baseline data and saw my website, they were horrible. You had maybe, uh, you know, something like, 30% of the plants were not able to shoot 95% on the first shot. That's terrible. And the problem is gun maintenance. A, a captive bolt stunner like a Jarvis, for example, you've got to have a really big compressor. You have to keep the water out of it. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to make sure the balancing device is uh, working right. Uh, on your cartridge fired, one of the biggest problems is damp cartridges. Using the wrong cartridge, that's not going to work. Um, uh, you do stunning right, it's instantaneous. 
And our USDA is getting very strict. There's a website where um, plants that get in trouble are listed. And the pattern I'm seeing now on that for stunning, very seldom one of the big plants because they have very good dedicated maintenance programs. There's a lot of little plants on there getting uh, in trouble. And I've been in contact with some of them. They're using the wrong stunner, uh, one that's too small on, an, on, a, on a great big, huge animal. Yeah. A lot of it's lack of knowledge. And um, the thing with stunning slaughter is uh, you can be a sloppier manager and still have, you know, halfway decent uh, animal welfare. But they've got, they've got to maintain that stuff. You're talking about tool designed to hit really hard. Yeah. And um, you've got every day you have to take that thing apart and clean it and fix it. And uh, research is really clear. Um, now, of course, if you miss a stun, yeah, that's going to hurt. Yeah. But we're getting really good because the USDA started being much more strict. And boy, they missed the second shot. They'll shut you down. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And a third, by the second shot, if you, if you can't, and if you do too many second shots on a conscious animal, they'll shut you down. They're getting really strict with our USDA. Mm -hmm. You see, and what that's done is forced people to manage. It forced them to manage. You see, this is why I, I've been around for a long time. And this is why I get so much on the management because if you have bad captive bolt stunning, that might be worse. But in the U.S., I'm I'm pretty proud of it. And right now, I'm having to fix some equipment because um, um, our cattle, our we've bred Angus cattle, will be really wide. We're going to have to widen some of the shoots. But they are doing a really good job on stunning. Um, they have been forced to manage it because they'll get the plant shut down if they don't do it. You see that make them manage now you see with religious slaughter there's no there's what the usda calls the bubble now if you abused an animal on the truck on loading ramp yes you'd be in trouble but the restraint and the and the religious slaughter of the usda is there's no rules it's called the bubble the bubble for religious freedom there's yeah. no rules okay some people take advantage and i'm really kind of disgusted about that what about gas stunning? Some people, have, some researchers have criticized gas concentrations at high temperatures, especially carbon dioxide. What's your view on that? Well, the problem with pigs, um, of course, you're not very interested in pigs, yeah. but you are interested in chicken. Chicken, yeah. And there is differences in the species. Chicken, what you do with chicken is you, vary, you, you have them in a the travel container and then it advances through a conveyor through a series of stations where the CO2 gradually increases. And when you do this correctly, the chickens have very little reaction. In fact, the most modern systems have windows, so you can watch what's called the, uh, the induction phase, where you observe behavior before the chicken falls over and would be unconscious. And those systems, I think, work really well. Now with pigs, you have some pigs that have a very violent, bad reaction in CO2. And for years, I've said, I think it's genetic. And I just talked to a veterinarian just the other day about laboratory mice. And they told me, well, some strains, uh, genetic types of mice are just fine. Others are not. Now, there was a, I've done a lot of observations myself. And I can see there's very big individual differences on how pigs react to CO2. Now, there's a study that just came out of Australia by Youngman. They went to five different slaughterhouses. Now, they averaged from very mild reactions under one, you know, 1% to, you know, I don't know, 20 or 30% of the pigs having a bad reaction. 
Now, the thing is, when you read the paper carefully, the whole entire paper, you're going to find out that there's a single slaughterhouse where less than 1% of the pigs had a bad reaction. And the other, now, that's genetics. That slaughterhouse is probably, now they, they keep confidential as the names of the plants, but I know enough about the industry to know that that slaughterhouse is probably buying its pigs from one genetic source because it was under 1% bad reactions and the others were dreadful, absolutely dreadful. And I think a solution to the problem is with pig breeding, you could probably correct the problem. Now it's something that the um, industry doesn't really want to look at it. I was going to do a study where we were going to genetically test pigs that had a calm reaction versus pigs that had a bad reaction. And the corporate suits uh, canceled my project. Wow. Well, I was trying to help them. They canceled my project. I was really upset about that. It's really stupid of them. But the Australian paper, you got to read the paper really carefully to realize that, that a single plant, all their pigs were less than 1% bad reaction. Felipe, do you want do you have a question on the methods of stunning? Okay, so Professor, I, I wanted to, to, to make a very specific uh, question regarding the halal slaughter. Uh, I have learned that uh, some uh, Muslims authority they they allow uh, the animal to be to be pre pre stunned, yeah, before the ritual slaughter, since it was uh, totally reversible. So uh, I would like to know if the the, the mushroom uh, uh, captive bolt, non penetrative uh, captive bolt, is a good option to. Put in, in uh, to uh, to stun the animals before the religious slaughter, but with the with the the guarantee that all the animals could uh, go back to consciousness. So is that su such a thing we can rely on it? No, no, you can't. Whoa. Because in order to make an animal unconscious, you have to do a lot of damage to the brain. You have to put a dent in the forehead, mm -hmm. and I don't like um, non-penetrator stunners. The research is very clear now. Research done in Brazil showed that the uh, penetrating captive bolt is much more effective. Now, about the only way to do a recoverable stun, chickens and cattle or sheep, is electrical. And this is being done in New Zealand. It's been done in New Zealand for years. Yeah. You do a head-only electrical stun. It causes a ground mal epileptic seizure, and then you cut very quickly before it recovers. And that is a fully recoverable stun. Um, and that, that's true also for, for chickens, but you have to cut very, very, very quickly. Um, no, uh, a non-penetrator um, to, to have a recoverable stun, uh, you would hardly not even knock your animal out. It would feel a lot of pain. Now, another issue that comes up is what is death? Yeah. If you use a penetrating captive bolt, let's say a heaviest Jarvis does a really, really good job. Uh, the heart will beat for several minutes because there's a pacemaker in the heart that keeps it beating until the, the, the oxygen in the blood runs out. So if you define death by the beating heart, you could go ahead and use a penetrating captive bolt. But it depends upon how you define death. Is death the heartbeat or is death consciousness? Because there's several studies that show that that um, heart will beat for several minutes. 
So if you are going to use a captive bullet, I'd rather just see you use a regular penetrator because the studies were all done with a penetrator. And then on, on sheep and, and cattle, both the New Zealand has for 20 or more years been doing a head only halal stun that is completely recoverable. And that's probably from a welfare standpoint, probably the best because a, a good electrical stun is fairly easy to do. The equipment's very well established. Mm -hmm. And we don't have so many problems with some of the management stuff. There's still problems. You have to make sure your head stanchion works right. Uh, they're stunned the instant they walk in there. Really important. You know, it has to be managed right too. Uh, bleeding, the uh, bleeding has to be done very quickly because it will wake up in 10 or 15 seconds with a head-only stun. But head-only stunning has to reliably cause a ground mouth seizure to make your animal go unconscious. So um, to me, for the halal, uh, you know, take shape, I definitely would go with the, just do the head-only stun. In sheep, it's simple to do. Yeah. Real simple. And uh, cattle, you have to have more complicated equipment for that. The intellectual property on this equipment is all expired. All of this stuff is more than 20 years old. The patents are gone. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Thank you very much, Prof. Felipe, that's a, a very important question that many Muslim authorities, many halal consumers will be really listening to very keenly. And Professor has just mentioned something that is very worrying to, that will be very worrying to many halal consumers because they continue to consume meat from animals that have been stunned with the non-penetrate with a mushroom or non-penetrative captable thinking that there is no damage to the brain there is no damage to the skull it is reversible all the animals it's not, will it's not reversible and it's, if you don't do some damage to the brain i've worked with this enough if you don't make a dent mm -hmm. in the head uh it's not going to reliably make your animal unconscious yeah, that 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 just doesn't work. But the thing that is known scientifically is we can shoot with a regular penetrating captive bolt, and that heart will beat for several minutes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you define death by heartbeat, you can go ahead and use the good captive bolt that works. But from your perspective, Professor Grandin, should death be defined based on the function of the brain? or based on the function of the heart. Because medically, in the US and in the UK, death is defined as the irreversible loss of function of the brain stem. That's correct. No, that's absolutely correct because you can keep the heart artificially going. Yeah. You yeah. see now, some of this gets to be a philosophical question rather than a scientific question. Of course, when halal rules first were invented, same thing with Jewish rules, we didn't have, no have medical knowledge. Yeah. So back in the olden times, Death was the heartbeat. We didn't know enough about the brain way back when they thought that they didn't even realize what the brain was for. And, and uh, so heartbeat was how they defined death. You see, this gets to be a philosophical and religious question. I'm a scientist. I can't answer that. Yeah. Yeah. I can, um, I, but as a scientist, I want to have, you know, good animal welfare. I can get that with um, penetrating captive bolt and I can get that with a head only stunt. If I do it right. And the head only stun is actually fully reversible. You see, this gets into something where, um, yeah, true today, yes, medically, it's brain death. That is how you define death today. 
wasn't how we defined death a thousand years ago. Now, my next question before Philippi comes in, uh, Professor Grandin, look, the, 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 the standard that is used in the Middle East says, oh, mechanical stunning is acceptable if it's non-penetrative, electrical head-only stunning is acceptable. Have you had any dealings with these guys from the Middle East? Uh, have they consulted you to understand these things? Well, the other problem we've got with a lot of things that's a business is having clear standards. And this gets into the part of business is not very nice. And standards change depending upon the market. Whoa. Depending upon somebody getting a flat screen TV. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. And I know that's not nice, but I've been around for 50 years. This old lady's been around. And, and for somebody who has to design equipment, um, I find this very frustrating. I remember a very frustrating thing one time with kosher slaughter, had a producer here wanted to go into it and we couldn't get a clear guidance on um, what was trafe, which would fail and what was kosher. And I said, I don't care what your standard is. I just want to have it in a legally binding contract. Yeah. They would not do that. They would not do that. That's part of the problem. And there's a lot of cheating that goes on. Yeah. Lots and lots of it. Yeah. So and I, when they and when you have a booming export market, I don't care whether I don't care what type of slaughter it is, standards tend to get sloppy. Uh, Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. We'll just That's leave it sad. at that. I don't want to go into all the yeah. details. Yeah. That's very sad to hear, uh, Professor. But it's Martin. something I find very discouraging. Philippi, can you come out with another question? I, I really enjoyed that yeah. question because it's going to be something that many Muslim authorities will be keen to listen to, many halal consumers will be keen to listen to, and many uh, halal certifiers should listen to and make an informed decision. Look, I know oh, Professor right. just said she doesn't want to go into detail but we know when well i don't want to go into details yeah about yeah. every nasty way that yeah. people have yeah. cheated yeah absolutely but there's a big problem with this a big problem wow that's very sad philippi and i think it is one? sad but i'm trying to just you know talk about okay like on the definition of death a thousand years ago, yeah. heartbeat was the definition of death. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, today, since we have all these fancy machines to measure the brain, you know, loss of brain function is the definition of death. Yeah. Yeah. Those machines did not exist a thousand years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So you also, another sort of thing from a philosophical standpoint, is if you just were to go sort of on the historical concept, you could go with heart rate, and you go ahead and use the captive bolt stunner, the penetrator, the one that really works. Yep. Philippi, do you want to come in? Yes. Uh, Professor, uh, do you think that uh, uh, due to the, the evolution that we have been seeing, yeah, uh, um, uh, mostly uh, by, by your research and, and improvement that uh, are happening now, do you think that in the near future or in the future, we're going to have a fully satisfactory uh, system of uh, religious slaughter without... Uh, stunning, or you think that to those authorities that they 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 they, they admit that the animal could be uh, respecting some 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 well, points? Yes. I mean, the thing is, if, let's just look at the science. Yeah. If I use the fanciest equipment, there's now portable EEG equipment for measuring brain. Electric stunning and captive bolt done correctly, instantly, it's out like a light. Okay, now. If it's going to take 20 seconds to go unconscious, 
and you got a big cut there and something bumps it, yeah, you're going to have probably have some pain. Mm -hmm. I can't get rid of that. All I can say is the um, electric and kept bolt penetrator instantaneous. And anytime you, you, just, you do slaughter without stunning, yeah, there probably is going to be some discomfort and pain because you've got a period of there from 10 to 30 seconds if you uh, do it right. Sheep and goat, goats die quicker than cattle do because there's a difference in the anatomy. Um, uh, cattle have a vertebral artery up the back of the neck. And, and so they take longer to go unconscious. But even in sheep, you know, 10 seconds, okay, well, that's 10 seconds where there's very likely it could have some discomfort. There's no question about that. Especially something bumps the wound or in the Jewish, you're not allowed to let the um, this wound close back up. Now, I saw some very sloppy halal slaughter sheep where they let the wound close back up and the sheep was struggling. And that was definitely very, very bad. Yeah, you see that, that's just looking at the science. And then there's a point where the scientist uh, stops and they'll let other people discuss it. Yeah. But the science, yeah, there, there's, takes 10 seconds. Yeah, there's a good chance it might have some pain. It might have some discomfort, especially if something gets a bit sloppy. Also, I looked at your website, uh, Professor Grandin, where you cited another paper uh, in which you said if Muslims or if religious authorities are basing uh, death on, on the function of the heart, it could beat after the cut, it could beat for up to, or after after brain death, it can beat for up to eight minutes. Yes, that can happen. You can have very bad messes, and I've seen it. Live cattle walking around them, the worst thing I ever saw was a live steer with its throat cut, walked outside of a plant onto a construction site, walking around, bled all over the contractor's toolbox, Whoa. and then walked back into the plant and died. Absolutely disgusting, and I was there. This can happen, and it's more likely to happen with cattle than with sheep, where you can have very prolonged, uh, it might be due to um, you know the false aneurysms that seal off the vessels, um, but I, you can have sometimes some very prolonged. Now in Canada, they have a rule up there where if it doesn't um, uh, go unconscious in 30 seconds, you just stun it, and it uh, goes for regular. You know where you put a limit on that. The other way, uh, yeah, you can. That that sometimes happens, and cattle are worse than sheep on that. No, I've seen some very disgusting things on uh, numerous times of you know veal calves walking around, walking on a conveyor like it was a treadmill. And they had the throat cut. Yep, I've seen that. Awful. And then when I worked on technique, we had two rabbis at this particular plant. One had a real slow kind of lazy cut and he'd get a lot of cattle that were walking. Another one did a really good and his would just lay right down. So the skillful enough, skill of the slaughter person, slaughter man or whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. um, also has an effect on this uh, uh, tendency of some animals to have a prolonged unconsciousness. Yes, that can happen and that is true. Yes, and for welfare, that's terrible. Philippi, do you want to... <clears throat> Professor, I just wanted to, to, to ask about uh, a point that we have been discussing already uh, regarding the once the animal has been uh, uh, properly handled, properly uh, restrained. So then the next uh, 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 big point is that the cut should be done in the best 
possible way, meaning uh, the animal will, will not feel pain. And, and I think most important than, than all is that the, end, the, the cut will be biologically efficient, yeah? Uh, yes. to, I, I've been reading in your material that uh, it's possible that 90% of the, of the animals, they get uh, unconscious in, in, a, in, a, in a very few seconds, that's, yeah? Well, that, that's right, when you do it right. And these are things you can measure. I'm a, I'm a very big proponent of measuring things. We can measure vocalization, electric pride use to evaluate you know, restraint methods, but you can also measure how long does it take that animal to either lose posture or have eye roll back. You can measure that. And then when you measure it, you can work on improving it. And there's a big difference. Um, and Erica Volga's collected a lot of data on this between places that do sloppy procedures yeah. and places that do good procedures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Prof, uh, another thing is uh, false aneurysm is quite a big thing uh, during cattle slaughter. Yep, that's right. What techniques are available for Muslims or Jewish slaughtermen to avoid it? Is it the location uh, Gregory and colleagues? Well, you see, you get into the Gregory's cutting closer to the C1 <laughs> position, and, uh, and there's some papers that support that. Um, the most important thing to do might be to look at outcome measures. Outcome measures. You see, your ten now on the tendency now on the OIE with animal welfare is you measure outcomes, and I want that animal to lose consciousness or lose the ability to stand or have eye roll back very quickly. Mm -hmm. Now I can measure that. You see, you do eye roll back if they are on their back or on their side. You can't do loss of posture or LOP. You see, but that's stuff that I can measure. And then I can work on improving that. Now, what I found when I did my stuff with a veal cast back in the 80s, there were two rabbis there. And um, one of them did a slow, real lazy kind of a cut. And the other did a And there was a big difference in how quickly the calves went down. And in this system, they could stand and lose the ability to stand between the two different rabbis. Huge, huge difference. And, and these are the kinds of things we need to be measuring is the outcome. And then the knife that you're using and the, and the Imian paper on the, on the halal knife, that was a halal paper on knife sharpness. Mm -hmm. But when you really get right down to it, I'd rather pre-stun because most places are very sloppy how they do things and it's not improved. Now, most of my work, and I've talked to Filippi sometimes, he's been upset with some of the plant management in Brazil doing things sloppily and, and not caring about doing things right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's something I'm kind of, you know, disgusted with it. Now, I can work on stuff like engineering the controls on the box, and that's really important. Mm -hmm. Because if you've got the wrong kind of air valves, uh, you're going to squash cattle or squash sheep. Yeah. I can fix the engineering, but it's going to take that plant manager deciding that they're going to do things right. I talked to a very good plant that wanted to start doing some um, uh, religious slaughter, and they did such a horrible job. This is a very, very good plant. This is recent. This is within the last two years. Really, really nice plant, uh, one of my clients. And he just said, no way. 
owner of the plant went out there and said, this is horrible. I think some cattle got loose and were running around. And he goes, nope, we're not doing this. And it was done sloppily. And I went and looked at the apparatus just real recently. The controls are wrong. They used the wrong type of valves. And so they were squashing cattle and probably had a horrendous vocalization score. And that plant owner just goes, nope, we're not doing this. And that's real, 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 real recent. And I was there within the last, right as soon as I was vaccinated. It was one of my, first, one of my early trips I did at, after COVID when I got vaccinated. So that's within a, a that's less than, less than a year ago. Yeah. So Prof, from your experience and your previous observation, do you think comparing now to when you started your career 50 years ago, the incidence of false aneurysm has increased or has it decreased? If it has decreased, what has changed? The, 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 oh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's decreased because the management's been so sloppy. Oh. And that's something that's not improved. So you got to remember in, in the U.S., there's the bubble. Yeah. USDA has no enforcement powers inside the bubble. Now, on the regular plants, the inspector's right there. And they'll shut you down. They get, forces the regular plants to behave and take care of their guns and, and do it right. No, I don't think it's improved at all. Whoa. And you have a few plants. I want to say Erica's got one customer that's doing a really good job. Mm-hmm. But I've talked to her about some of her other customers and she's pretty discouraged and they are U.S. for the most part. No, they're not being forced to improve. No, I don't think it's gotten better. Okay. And that discourages me. Yeah, yeah. That, that is very discouraging. That's very discouraging. Now, my regular plants, our regular plants, oh man, they're beautiful. Now we just got to work on, I got to, I've got to widen some equipment right now. I've got a guy from a shop working on it right now because he's Angus cattle. They're breeding them so fat. I'm going to have to widen some equipment, but that's something that's easily solvable. And the plant is going to do it. Yeah, that's interesting. Philippe. Yes, uh, Professor, so um, I I have, I'm going to take one of your written questions uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just reading the question. The question I would like to divide in two. Yeah, uh, we are. We will speak about improvements. So uh, by the end, I would like to know from a religious perspective, religious leadership, religious uh, slaughterman, what can be done to, to be improved, and also in science, what are the, the what are the the researches that are still missing to give us better. Uh, measurement better uh, directions. Yeah, so I'm just, I'm just well. Just the thing with... is, there's now portable getting to be portable EEG equipment, which um, it, it you know maybe in the future we have a little cheap device that's an app for phone. I'm looking into the future, and we yeah. can stick tape a few little things on the cattle's head, yeah. and measure the brain function with a phone app. Uh-huh. Okay, we don't have it yet, but yeah. I could see something like that in the future. And then we would know exactly when they started to go unconscious. Uh, that's not here yet, but they're using EEG. Uh, scientists have used an EEG in a factory where, you know, 20 years ago, there's no way you could have done that. So that's something you might do. But the other issue is the religious authorities and the consumers. You see, things get changed when top 
people in charge of things insists on the standards. Now, in some of the religious authorities, uh, a television set will affect uh, what they do. I hate to say that that's true. And I'm not going to say I've been in this, I've been involved with religious law for 40 years and regular for 50. Um, I'm not going to say what year it was that television set was involved, <laughs> but stuff like that goes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I, I you know, it, it, that what I find with anything, the top sets the standard for how a factory is going to work. I don't care if it's religious slaughter. I don't care if it's employee safety. I don't care if it's food safety. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've been through, I've watched food safety drastically improved during my career, drastically improved. Employee safety has drastically improved. Mm-hmm. But I don't care what it is. The top makes the standards and enforces the standards. And in 1999, I worked with McDonald's on, on, on their audits and, and McDonald's uh, kicked two big, huge plants off the approved supplier list. Then they started taking things very seriously, like a bad stunning score that get kicked off the approved supplier list. Yeah, somebody at the top, whether, and buyers, buyers are in the position to enforce standards. Unannounced audits. Yeah. Unannounced audits. Buyers are in the position to enforce standards. I don't care if it's for religious slaughter, food safety, whatever it is. And that's true in a lot of different countries. A buyer will say, this is my standard. And then they've got to enforce it. I cannot do it with, with engineering. I cannot do it with papers that write and books that I've written that tell you exactly how to do it. I can tell you how to fix the controls that I can tell you. But who do you have operated and who's managing that factory? No, this is where, um, unfortunately, there's been a lot of stuff going on that's not good. So it's much more about the transformation of attitude, right, Professor, from all the sides, yeah? Well, they've got to decide they're going to do things right. And I've talked to you and you've got certain factories you've gone to where management doesn't care and they're running the equipment way too fast. Push, 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 push. You know, squeeze a few more cattle per hour out of it. And then you're going to start to have a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's interesting. So, uh, Professor Grandin, thank you very much for your time. Uh, that is all the questions I have, but I would really, really, really like to take this opportunity to thank you on behalf of our viewers, because many people will benefit from what you've just said. Oh, and this is where if consumers are in a position, I've, I can tell you uh, scientifically you know, what's going on. Yeah. And this is where consumers can make their own informed decisions. Absolutely. Okay, religion is a, a not a scientific thing, but um, um, what science can do is give you information yeah. to make decisions. Yeah. That's what science can do. That's all I can all, all I can do. Yeah, absolutely, and you've you've and then all- as somebody who is a scientist, um, uh, what I have seen with management, many many different things with factories is when buyers and inspectors enforce standards, things improve a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it is great that you've dedicated time you uh, we've invited you on today's podcast and you have come in uh we've taken so much of your time but thank you very much philippe do you have a final word before we we, we return to uh prophet well i want to just say that you and uh, dr fasani and and philippe kleinman you're also in a position to make change okay. but to make change none of us are have the authority to take this fact that you have to do this mm. see that's going to be buyers mm. that might be inspectors you see one of the things that makes change is money i learned this very early one of the first studies i ever did in the first study was bruises on southwestern feedlot cattle and i looked at cattle sold in the carcass where the feed yard would pay for the bruises in other words the farmer paid for the bruises versus um uh, cattle sold live weight where the slaughterhouse paid for the bruises. And when the producer, the feed yard had to pay for the bruises, you had half as many bruises. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was that simple. Um, economics is a big factor. And one of the problems, booming export markets tend to not mix well with um, doing things right because it's a huge economic incentive, run a factory too fast, and I'm talking about regular too, not just religious. It's true for regular also. But our USDA is very strict. And, um, and our customers are strict. So that keeps control on stuff. You see, and I think with a, like with a halal customer, um, you, you can specify, okay, like you see plants in New Zealand I've been there a lot of times, do a really good job because they're used to exporting to all kinds of different kinds of customers. Yeah. I've been pretty impressed with plants in, in New Zealand. But it's going to take, um, we got to take people that, okay, well, I'm a scientist, you're a scientist, um, Philippe, you're a consultant. Um, I can show people how to build control valves correctly. I can't make them do it unless something goes wrong, like they lose a customer, that's a big emergency. And we'll come in there and I'll get down to the maintenance shop and we'll explain to them how to put the right type of control valves because that can make a big difference on some of these systems, on the air operated systems in particular. They don't have to throw the whole box away. We just had to change our hydraulics, have to go separate pressure regulators on different parts of the box. Um, you know, when they had to do it, you know, they cost some money to do that, to buy you know, separate valves. Didn't have to change the whole box as a rotating box. I didn't even have to go there. I just got on the phone and explained them how to do it. But they did it because they had to do it. Yep. They had a customer on. You see, there's also this part of it. Thank you once again, Professor Grandin. Uh, uh, Philippe, do you, do you have a final word before we, we wrap up? Yes. Okay. The, my final word uh, is to, to, to say thank you to Professor Grandin. Um, especially in, on behalf of uh, Jewish world community and also Muslim world community, because uh, we, we as Jews and Muslims, uh, we, we really rely on everything that is your science production regarding animal welfare at the religious society. And, and you are uh, the single uh, person, the single scientist in the world that while uh, many papers are written 
trying to prove that it's unsustainable to, to keep doing religious slaughter, you have been bringing a lot of light into this issue. So the one thing where I've changed, the, right points. the one so, thing I've changed is the observations I made it was my custom built box. I operated it. I had the cattle handling completely under control. We had the best rabbi in the industry. So it was done under perfect conditions. I can't emphasize that enough. This is something I've had to change because of all the sloppy stuff. I've And when you use stunning, you can be, be a bit more sloppy with stunning and still have it work. Problem you've got with slaughter without stunning, you do one little thing sloppy and you're going to have a live animal walking around somewhere or you're going to have a two minute live animal. Yeah. Instant, you get sloppy. It's much more difficult. I'm going to say religious, religious slaughter without stunning requires more attention to details of the exact procedure than stunning than slaughter with stunning. Yeah. Management, attention to details of procedure. You know, that's the one thing I've changed. When I first made that observation, I kind of thought I could teach the industry to do it. You know, that's 1994. That's a long time ago. Yeah. Almost 25, you know, 25 years ago. And I've been discouraged um, that um, most places are not doing it. That's the thing that's saying. So thanks once again, Professor Grandin. Thank you, Philippe Clayman, for an interesting discussion, which we believe uh, many people will benefit from. So once again, thank you very much, uh, Professor Grandin. Okay, it was great to be here. So I think I'll leave the meeting. I've got another meeting I've got to go to um, of uh, state um, agriculture people. All right, thank you very much, cheers. All righty, well, I'm gonna leave the meeting and thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Okay. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.